This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hello, this is the Africa Climate Conversations podcast, Karibu Sana, a weekly podcast dedicated to bridging climate communication gaps in Africa. I'm your host, Sophie Mbokwa. Last week, we talked about the interlinkages between development and air pollution. If you haven't had the chance to listen to that episode, please do so. Available on our website, www.africaclimateconversations.com and every other podcast channel available out there. Our guest, Dr. Alice Kaundia, is back talking about financing air pollution. Dr. Kaundia is a former Environment Secretary at the Ministry of Environment and Natural Resources, Kenya. She has vast global experience in environment and natural resources management, having formerly co-chaired the Climate and Clean Air Coalition, the Global Green Growth Knowledge Platform, and served as the World Resource Forum board member. She is currently an independent consultant on Africa's climate change and air pollution. Dr. Kaundia, welcome back and thank you so much for finding time again. Yes, I, I like these conversations on the air pollution and it's a very important topic. So uh, I'm very delighted to have the opportunity to share my ideas, my thoughts, my knowledge, my experience on this platform. And thank you, Sophie, for you know making it possible. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So Last week, we spoke about the interlinkages between development and, and air pollution. And we noticed that air pollution heavily impacts development. And we talked about um, how policies are not getting onto the ground, the villages where real action is supposed to take place. We actually also mentioned in terms of financing, that is very critical. Uh, the Climate and Clean Air Coalition report that was actually released last year says that Africa is attracting about 5% of development funding to fight air pollution. That was between 2015 and 2020. And also you find when it comes to philanthropy funding, it's also attracting less than 4% of philanthropy funding. Why is it? Well, I think that's a very important. Why is it that air pollution attracts very limited funding? Hmm. Yet, you know, when you look at the statistics, nine out of 10 people breathe polluted air globally. Yeah. Eight out of the 17 sustainable development goals are directly impacted by air pollution. Mm -hmm. So indeed this report uh, you, we are making reference to by Clean Air Fund mm -hmm. of 2021 mm -hmm. brings out clearly some of the challenges or hindrances that um, are not making it possible for air pollution to attract much funding either from official development assistance or philanthropic sources or mm -hmm. the private sector sources mm -hmm. um, and the the funding has this it's it's from the reports we think the funding has been growing yeah. but it is very modest it does not comprehensively address, address air pollution challenges mm -hmm. it's not at a level that can help us take the messages, take the technology, take the action to the village level as we discussed last week. Yeah. And I find that there are a couple of reasons for this. Mm. Uh, one is that uh, air pollution has not been presented as an acute danger to human health and the environment to the political class, mm. policymakers and the private sector at a depth that can credibly ignite a crisis to trigger large scale investment and funding. You see, as I said last week, Air pollution permits all sectors across all types of our lifestyles, all our consumption and production systems mm -hmm. 
lead to air pollution or can be managed in such a way that we prevent carbon air pollution. But the level of funding is very limited uh, because we have not packaged this message to the political class so that they can see that air pollution, just like climate change, is a threat to, and is a danger to human life. The second reason I find is that uh, the funding to or financing air pollution uh, prevention and uh, management activities is uh, so much overshadowed in the environment, climate change and energy sectors. So uh, philanthropies or visual development assessment finance comes to, to play and increases for environment activities like climate change, mm. um, transition to clean energy, but we are not focusing objectively and directly to say that when we undertake these programs in the, these sectors, we are also curbing air pollution or we are managing air pollution. Mm. But policies are there which are very good, you know, and they are very nice concepts. Green economy, green growth, circular economy, sustainable consumption and production, cleaner production. All these concepts really, when you examine the underpinning uh, idea or drive, it is that we actually we are working towards having a clean environment. So even as we finance these programs, the fact that we are targeting a clean and healthy environment Implicitly means we, are, we would want to ensure that air is clean because air is part of the environment, but we are not pronouncing it. You see, if you design a project and one of the objectives does not clearly come out to say one of the objectives is to manage and ensure that air pollution is minimized to uh, align with the WHO standards. You see, then that is a target that can be pursued because we know the WHO standards, mm -hmm. all right? Mm -hmm. So the financing, then we can evaluate how much of this finance has gone to enable us to have clean air to that level. That has not been done. Mm. The other reason, we don't have adequate data on the business case uh, that we say when we curb air pollution, these are the profits that arise from our businesses. So do we have a business case for air pollution? So finance goes for the private sector, it is profits. Sure. If we are able to clearly show with data, mm. quantitative information mm -hmm. that businesses are losing so much if they don't manage air pollution, mm. uh, then we will not be able to have much funding on that. I find some of these studies have been done for India. You know, a lot of money goes to Mongolia. Mm -hmm. China draws a lot of money. In fact, according to this uh, Clean Air Fund report, mm. a lot of money goes for air pollution management in the middle income country in the Asia region, but very limited in Africa, as you have said, only 5%. Yes. Mm. Yes. Interesting. So the messaging is what needs to actually change in terms of reaching the decision makers and also providing a business case basically for private sector. And whereby now messaging in terms of mentioning or saying air pollution leads to A, B, C, D. And when they see the direct impact it's actually ha having on the economies and the profits, private sector implementing air pollution related programs, because then again, it is for benefit for their business, best businesses. So probably we're going to actually start, you know, making some progress in terms of attracting funding within this air pollution sector. Great. Yeah, that's very true. For example, mm -hmm. when uh, we are undertaking projects, uh, let me give you an example of Kenya. 
if you want to do a big project, you have to undertake a big project, you'll undertake environment impact assessment. Mm. I have had the experience whereby you go for a loan from the bank and they say, where is the report, uh, where is the license from the National Environment Management Authority that is guaranteeing that your project will not pollute the environment? Mm -hmm. You see that? Mm. We could have a similar system whereby you would want uh, an, an air pollution prevention certification that yes, it has been analyzed that this project when undertaken, it will not uh, lead to uh, excessive pollution of air mm. to the detriment of human life, the environment and the business uh, processes as, as, as a whole. Mm. Interesting. Mm. And must be able to have that business case because when you, especially when it comes to private sector, we know very, it's a business. But then again, also when it comes to development funding, we know very well, most of the money that comes um, comes in forms of loan. Like you'll get probably a project that is actually funded, but you find 20% or 40% of that is a grant and the rest 80% is actually a loan. And when you look into the International Debt Crisis Report, 2022 report, you'll find that Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa to be precise, is a region that is highly in debt. And then you find that the debt rose between 2019 and 2020 was from 665 billion to 702 billion. And this was before the COVID crisis. How can governments, sub-Saharan African governments, fund their air pollution monitoring, you know, reduction, you know, while they fund their development, ensuring that their governments do not get deeper into debts? I, I, I see in the funding landscape, new mm -hmm. models that are coming up which can actually help us. We need to look at funding at different levels. Mm -hmm. They are the mega projects like our roads, our airports, our, and, and our ports, and the you know, mega, mega transnational regional projects sure. across Africa, like we want Africa connectivity. Mm. In the design of those projects, mm. we could have a, a component that specifically um, addresses air pollution. Air pollution management should, one, should be one of the objectives of such mega projects. And I was saying, when we look at projects at different levels, the mm. mega ones, the, the, the national level ones, which are still big, and then the medium scale and the small scale ones, there are different financing models that can enable us uh, reduce our debt, okay? Mm. One practice which I'm seeing now increasing in the landscape is this of entrepreneurship, whereby, and particularly targeting the youth, and you know, youth is are the majority in Africa, okay? Mm. So we are finding this opportunity for blended finance, whereby uh, a program starts with a grant, and uh, during the grant phase, you're not paying, but you're developing systems and capacity to scale up the, in, the, the, the investment. And then such transitioning to financing. Now financing, we can also look at different models. You don't have to go to debt, you can look for equity financing, okay? We could also look for impact financing. And these other alternative models will reduce our indebtedness. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it might be said that projects which are targeting youth really are, are at small scale in terms of the, the, the level of financing. But when you look at uh, the Muhammad Yunus uh, approach of financing masses, then collectively, you'll find that if we target that style, we'll have more uh, activity undertaken through grants as opposed to debt financing. And I think that one approach can reduce our indebtedness. Mm -hmm. Can you expound further a little bit in terms of what do you mean by equity funding, financing, and impact financing? 
can you differentiate between the two? Yes. You see, mm -hmm. I, I will give an example, okay? Mm -hmm. Let's have a group in Kenya mm -hmm. wanting to promote solar lighting systems, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and therefore, they set up a plant that will, will manufacture the panels, that will manufacture the, the, the bulbs and so on. Okay. Mm -hmm. They can do that through a grant. Mm -hmm. But if the scale is, that is a small scale. Mm -hmm. Now, when they want to make it massive that all the 47 counties have mm -hmm. got access to this technology, it might be at a scale where they cannot find, find funding for it. Mm -hmm. At that point, that kind of investor group can invite an impact investor. Okay. Someone who will bring money, okay, as mm -hmm. part of the investment. Mm -hmm. But once they have... Uh, will reach the target revenue level mm. which is profitable mm. then the investor scoops their money and lets the system be owned by the original uh, investors in the in, in that particular enterprise so, okay. so in that way if you are not having a debt that will uh, choke us intergenerationally mm. but we are addressing uh, consumption and production systems that curb air pollution mm. Yes. Ah, interesting. Okay. So we move forward yeah. to your second suggestion on how we, re we reduce in terms of um, getting into deeper debts. Uh, we also see uh, bonds, green bonds being floated. Mm -hmm. And with bonds, investors can buy mm -hmm. and uh, get their money back. But since they're defined as green bonds, mm -hmm. these are investments that are actually uh, leading us to have a better climate system, a better air uh quality air system mm. and these are long-term yielding investments mm -hmm. and, and and therefore many uh, investors are finding it very interesting to to, to invest in green bonds mm. and I, again I, I for us for example if i use kenya it is a system of even internal borrowing because local investors can actually put their money into the the green bonds mm -hmm. and then the yields come later and it's, it's still profit, but it is not a loan mm. to the country. Yes. Mm. Interesting. And uh, yeah, mm -hmm. the third area which I find is uh, for us not to go into a lot of indebtedness is just the practice of prudent management of resources. Mm. Sometimes we have one project being financed once, twice, three times. The third phase is still at the first phase because resources were not properly used, so the target outcomes were not achieved. And therefore, prudent, transparent management of resources can actually enable us to reduce uh, indebtedness mm. in, in, in our continent. And, and this reminds me of um, an episode I actually had with one Jean-Paul Adam. He's the director of Technology, Climate Change and Natural Resources um, Division at the UNECA. And I remember one of the things he mentioned in terms of when it comes to Africa, when it comes to all different forms of financing and when it comes especially to issues of financing um, growth and also green growth, there's a lot of perceived risks. And so you find that um, funding, whether it's actually in form of grants or whether it's actually in form of green bonds, you find that um, it becomes very high in terms of the borrowing costs that Africa, especially Sub-Saharan Africa, borrows with because the investment is perceived as very risky. And then the other thing when, when I was looking at the Clean Air Coalition report, 
is that you find that there's concentration of this funding for air pollution, despite being that 5% we were talking about at the beginning, you find it was actually within that period of time, it was concentrated in specifically, you know, popular countries. You'll find Egypt, you'll find Kenya, you'll find countries like Niger, you'll find South Africa, you know, but you find like countries like Nigeria, despite really high cost of, you know, pollution related diseases, especially find 70,000 children in 2019 under five, uh, deaths. You find Nigeria is not even among the countries that actually received this 5% of funding. And you find politically, countries will attract private investment given different enabling environment. Given different you know, geopolitics, enabling environment, all the risks, do we need full of funding to enable the flow of this financing? Yeah, I, I agree with you that uh, we may need a specific fund that can uh, support countries at the continental level. Mm-hmm. But the challenge, you, you see, the countries which you have mentioned, and let me single out Kenya. When I was reading that report, mm-hmm. I, I was really proud, really, to find that Kenya is the only African country in the first top 10 countries yeah. that has received funding mm-hmm. to programs whose primary objective is air quality management, yes. okay, or yeah. air pollution for prevention. Mm-hmm. And then I looked back and said, why Kenya? Mm-hmm. And I realized that Kenya had established herself to have the investor readiness instruments Mm -hmm. that can attract uh, a financing entity from from outside. What what do I mean by that? Mm -hmm. Air pollution management is within Kenya's constitution as a function. Mm -hmm. It's a constitutional provision. Mm -hmm. You see, the constitution is the overarching mother law that governs how we operate our politics our processes and so on mm-hmm. now with that then kenya has got this uh, uh, of course the climate change act yeah. it has an act it has a policy yeah. it has got the, an action plan with very defined programs and then climate change has been mainstreamed in all sectors all ministries i mean yesterday i was reading the papers and i was impressed that the minister of energy is talking about e-mobility Mm. electric motorbikes as a means of reducing uh, emissions. Mm. Mm. So that kind of action, what I define as investor readiness, enables such top 10 countries to attract funding. Mm. Mm -hmm. So at the continental level, Mm. we can have a fund that will target uh, air pollution prevention of management. Mm-hmm. But the risk that comes with that is that countries must have country-level laws that also align to that kind of target. Mm. Because if you don't have investor readiness instruments, the laws, the policies, the, the, the action plans, and the institutional arrangements that will enable the implementation of programs based on funding from such a, uh, such a fund, then mm. it will not work. I mean, we have the Global Environment Facility, we have the the, the Clean Air Fund, and all, I mean, we have all these funds. Mm. Getting funding into the fund becomes a challenge because mobilizing resources into such funding also is a, a very challenging task. Mm. So we can create a fund, but it might be an empty bank account. Mm. However, the existing... Uh, uh, funding mechanisms for, for, for climate change, the Green Climate Fund, the Global Environment Facility, mm. uh, can, can have a component that targets uh, uh, air pollution management. 
because these are existing funds. So my thinking is that, yes, Africa can have her own fund, but also look into the models of existing environmental, global environmental funds mm -hmm. and see how they work and then uh, design her fund such that it can actually have some, some support. Mm -hmm. you know? But this will require that at the continental level, we have a very strong uh, air quality management framework, air quality management policy, strategy and action plan. Mm -hmm. And the conversation should be at the highest level possible, at the summit level, mm -hmm. at the ministerial level. Because at those levels, then countries can be able to take action. That also reminds me in terms of one of the challenge when different experts that I've actually talked to on this issue of financing for Africa and access is also the challenge of Africans themselves writing bankable proposals, and which has been one of the biggest challenges that has been facing many African countries from accessing existing funds, such as clean um, the, the Green Climate Fund. And I think, yeah, when, when we talk about that, it's also about the capacity building for you know, the question also raises in terms of even if we have an air pollution fund, then do African countries, especially Sub-Saharan Africa, do they have that capacity to write bankable, bankable proposals that they can be able to draw these funds from these, um, these particular funds? It's, 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 um, it's very interesting, some of these issues that a lot of them, you know. Sophie, you know what? Yeah. I, I write projects for all the time I served as environment secretary. Those are some of the things you did. You write writing projects and mobilizing resources uh -huh. is part and parcel of responsibilities of most of the of, of the government officers we have. Mm. I mean, the concept of capacity building, I mean, has been there with us forever, right? Mm. And sometimes I look at it critically and say. Do we really build capacity or do we come in as external financiers and we say there's lack of capacity so let's do it for you in the way that will address our international policies yes mm. we do have very capable people within the african continent mm -hmm. yeah yeah that can actually write this project but you see writing and designing projects is also a moderated and a negotiated exercise so oftentimes it's not so that there's lack of capacity, but there's maybe limited interpretation of objectives of a call on and how the, the call for a grant or a financing mechanism mm. requires a potential recipient to prepare its uh, documents such that they're really in line with what is expected by a granting or, or a financing entity. Mm -hmm. So capacity, yes, uh, it can be said, but this is a word I've had since I've been in service for over 35 years. Yeah. We need three, four, five, six decades in Africa to build capacity. No, we have people. It is a matter of people coming together and bringing these great minds and saying, yeah, we have projects going on in Africa, big mega projects yeah. designed by Africans. Yeah, sure. Let's give credit to ourselves also. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Interesting. And when I want us to finalize this conversation. It's actually now looking into the new predicaments that we are actually into, you know, in terms of COVID-19. And we've seen that um, there is availability of funds. It's not that funds are, it's, I think it's the same thing we're talking about, the whole capacity building 
we will talk, we will talk every time will be, you know, everyone will keep saying in terms of Africa needs capacity building, but reality is there's a lot of capacity in Africa. But then again, it's who defined capacity building. I think it's the same issue of financing um, because we saw in terms of COVID-19 impacting developed countries more than actually it has impacted, say, health-wise, uh, despite economically heavily impacting on many African countries. But then the money was available to actually, you know, funds that were quickly drawn from different quarters to ensure that it gets these countries going that we've seen in terms of getting vaccines and also in terms of making sure that raising these countries and making sure they don't actually sink in the development model still goes on. But we find financing have been a big issue, both in climate financing and in different uh, forums that you've been part of. But Sub-Saharan Africa have always looked up to the West for financing. And even Africa is one of the richest continent, but keeps on looking in terms, we keep saying there's no financing, we don't mobilize finance. How do we now get attention air pollution funding in the age of COVID-19? How does Africa look within itself? How does Africa finance knowing that the West will always prioritize themselves? And climate financing has been one of the biggest handles. Now we've here and air pollution is completely part and parcel of climate change because I don't understand how we can address climate change without addressing air pollution. How do we move forward given COVID-19 and you know, have, making sure that air pollution gets the attention it deserves? Ah, Sophie, that's a very important uh, area bringing on board COVID-19. Now it becomes a, a three-level a three level nexus. That is climate change, air pollution, and COVID-19. I think COVID-19 has brought us some very important, uh, I mean, uh, lessons to learn. Yeah. That, uh, and one of the lessons I find is that when there is a crisis mm. and we have a coordinated global action for a common purpose based on a defined target, mm -hmm. okay, mm. The, the world will take action, okay? Absolutely. There was literally indisputable evidence that COVID-19 is a threat to human life. People are dying. We are seeing bodies being buried. And I mean, it, was, it is sad and painful, right? Yeah. yeah. And if we say that those who left us left because they could not have enough oxygen. Mm. And therefore, we are saying that if we have quality air, yeah. we breathe quality air every day mm -hmm. and our sounds in the body mm. are conditions to be healthy and strong mm. we can actually manage to live through COVID-19 mm. and therefore moving forward I think we really need uh, a, a strong scientific leadership mm -hmm. uh, through um, important organizations globally for example the climate and clean air coalition you know yeah can, can you imagine the Climate and Clean Air Coalition is the only global membership organization that it is draws on state and non-state actors, and its focus is just on how can we tackle air pollution through the reducing of short-lived climate pollutants. Mm. Okay. Mm. Now, to take that kind of focus, I also find that we need strong scientific leadership. The scientists need to inform us mm. that this is how we can manage air pollution. These are the kind of instruments we, we need at household, at industrial, at, at every level, okay? Mm. And this information from science can inform uh, leadership at, for example, the African Union Commission 
action so that when resources are being mobilized, they are being mobilized at a large scale. You know, when we are discussing issues at the African Union level, that is the scale that is necessary for impactful change. Mm. Okay. Mm. Because when we come to our country level, then the level of financing can become very, very little. You look at the, what African Development Bank can do, mm. and they will only discuss with high level engagements at African Union or country level. But that requires that we have scientific information that uh, informs our policies and actions. Mm. The second area which I think is important is to have, in, so that we draw some financing into this problem of air pollution, mm -hmm. is intensive advocacy, mm. okay? Mm. I, I give an example of a, a, a film that was shot by the Climate and Clean Air Coalition titled Breathe Life, Breathe Life campaign. Actually, it was shot in, in Kenya at Mukuru Kwanjenga, mm. okay? Mm. And it shows the impact of air pollution on inhabitants of that settlement, informal settlement. Mm. It brings together mayors and leaders of subnational governments to tell them that, look, in the cities, we need clean air. And this is the action that you should take so that your city residents can have clean air. Yeah. And that can draw grants because when, when there is a public problem, I would advocate for grants mm. and not financial instruments that come with debt. Yeah. Okay. So we, we have opportunities for funding. We can, uh, as, as you said earlier, money is there. How to access it is the problem. And mm. then the second level of a problem is how to manage it prudently to mm. ensure that we use it in a manner to achieve the goals and targets that we have on air pollution. Interesting. And when you talked about scientific data, I was actually thinking of what we talked on earlier in terms of we don't have data to prove business cases. And I think if we have research being done regularly and you know can actually talk into how air pollution is impacting different sectors when it comes to health issues, economy and stuff and actually kind of help in terms of messaging that could actually reach out these policymakers and even private sector and probably could actually help in terms of drawing these businesses cases in terms of investment right yeah that's true Sophie. you know when i talk of data sometimes there are different levels of data mm. but some basic i'm talking about very basic data for example mm. if we have the capacity to have stationary air quality monitoring stations okay mm. Mm. uh and also we have mobile air quality monitoring uh, instruments. I, I see that uh, when I was in service, we had the National Environment Management Authority in Nema had mobile uh, vehicles to, in different parts of the city to just monitor mm. the, the, the air pollution levels or air quality status. Mm. You find in, in, in countries like India, in India, they have low level sensors, you know, which mm. are actually in households with the indicators like those of the traffic lights mm. so a household can see that today it is green outside there it is safe we can go it's amber let us make a you know a rational decision whether we go or not but when it is red the parents even detain their children in the homes and say no you can't go to school the air quality today is not very good outside there now when we have those kind of uh, instruments mm -hmm. which can collect data of, or, and and uh, and go and rip. we have a central repository somewhere mm. where people are, where scientists are measuring what is happening outdoors you know mm. then we are able to say well in industrial areas 
this is a problem. In household areas, this is a problem. In open fields, this is a problem. So having that hard information is important for informing policy makers and, 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 and the managers. Alice, as you should, thank you so, so much. I sincerely appreciate you coming on board uh, the last two weeks. What is your final words when it comes to the whole issues of development and air pollution and funding? Air pollution will negatively affect our development. And for that reason, it should be a top priority objective of financing entities at big projects. We could, for example, have a 0.01% eh, mm-hmm. charge on all types of projects and that money be geared towards managing air pollution. Mm-hmm. Air pollution is a threat to human health, is a threat to our environment, is a threat to our development. So it should be the top priority globally for us to move together in a safe planet for all. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much, Alice. And I hope to, before this air pollution end, I hope to have you back and we can discuss, you know, arising issues. Thank you, Sophie. You're always welcome. And I'm there for this conversation on air pollution. I'm passionate about it. And, and let me tell you, at a personal level, mm. I am passionate. I saw my sister die. My only elder sister died because of lack of oxygen. Mm. And I knew how serious air pollution can be because it is not that she was from a polluted environment, mm. but lack of medical oxygen. And I rea- realized we even bought an oxygen concentrator. Mm. We still didn't manage, she didn't pull through. I felt pain. So when we talk of air pollution, mm. I'm, I'm seeing it, I'm feeling it yeah, I from it. different angles. Uh, from technical, from social angle as well. Mm. I'm so sorry to hear about your sister. It's just the hope that, you know, moving forward, that this issue can be taken serious and relevant authorities act to make sure that we do not have another sister dying. Because oxygen is one of the most available things. But then again, we basically spoil this air itself when it's freely given, and then we don't do much about it. It should be one of the primary things that, you know, when you're implementing a project, should be making sure that the consequences that leads to my actions do not lead into actually deteriorating the quality of life that people in general have. And that's very true. Even before we conclude, Sophie, you see, when we are building in cities, mm. we build everywhere. Every corner is a concrete. Every corner, you know, mm. Mm. we should have green spaces. We should have green spaces. Even the walls. We, we have seen designs whereby on the walls we have got miniature forests being placed on the wall because the oxygen comes from these plants. So tree planting is very important. Growing these trees everywhere is important. Mm. Conserving our forest is very important. Mm -hmm. Just the other day we celebrated the wetlands day, the global wetlands day. Mm. But when you look at our wetlands, they're all being destroyed. We are actually destroying the sources of oxygen Mm. that were there granted to us. So my idea is, even when we are building expressways, there should be another expressway for plants so that those, 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 those areas where traffic is are also oxygenated. Yeah. We need plants everywhere. Yeah. Yes. It's very interesting what you mentioned. So they, may, they may not be trees. We can even have creepers, mm. decorative creepers. But we need plants everywhere, even on expressways, in the ports, wherever. 
We need plants. We'll be having a couple of episodes on urban pollution. And one of the things that I've been researching on is actually understanding our city planning, especially in different couple of cities. Because you find when you read city plans, you'll find a lot of development has come up. And so we've completely lost green spaces. And as we urbanize and we have so many, you know, buildings, we're leaving less, less and less spaces for, you know, green spaces and also reducing the amount of air that is actually circulating in and out of our cities. And I think that will be one of the episodes within this air pollution series that I'm really looking forward to discuss with experts and understanding how can we moving forward as we develop our cities rise, how can we also make sure that our city plans also are upgraded because we find in many African cities, we're still dealing with those very old colonizers kind of times, you know, city plans. That's very important. City planning needs a consortium of experts, mm. not just the technical planners. Mm -hmm. We need the architects, we need the botanists as part of the planning team, we need foresters, we need agriculturalists, we need conservationists, so that all these fields of knowledge are brought together in the process of planning a city. Yeah. So the city is not just a matter of zoning that this side will have only single dwellings, this is industrial area, this is... No, we need to see to it that the planning is by a consortium of experts mm. drawn from, you know, natural sciences, the economies and, and the planning itself. Yeah. Alice, we have to... Right, so we have a good day and it was <laughs> nice discussing this episode with you and uh, I wish you well in your productions and uh, keep informing the world of what needs to be done for us to curb air pollution globally because without quality air, we are all dead. Dr. Alice Kaundia, a former Environment Secretary at the Ministry of Environment and Natural Resources, Kenya, talking about how best Africa can finance air pollution. Kindly, remember you can listen to our other podcast series available on Apple, Spotify, Google, and every other podcast channel you access your other podcast. We also have tons of materials available on www.africaclimateconversations.com, so please feel free to visit that website. Also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for more. I hope to talk to you next week on Tuesday, but until then, Kwaheri, my name is Sophie Mbogwa. Inaendeshwa na Afripods.